If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to the book of Zephaniah. We'll be reading in its entirety chapter 2. Zephaniah 2. If you would give ear to the reading of God's word. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Before the desire is issued of the day passes like chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you who meet, you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Akron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the sea coast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you. O Canaan, land of the Philistines, I will destroy you, so there will be no inhabitant. The seacoast shall be pastures, with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of the host, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This they shall have for their pride because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People will worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nations. You Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my word, by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north, destroy Assyria, and make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her midst, every beast of the nation. Both the pelican and the bittern shall lodge on the capitals of her pillows. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold, for he will lay bare the cedar works. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none beside me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down? Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning because you tell us there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. We have been adopted into the family of our Lord. We are now your heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Help us live our lives and be true to your words. Give us the strength to declare our love for you and for those who follow you. Grant us the grace required to hear your word and apply that word in our hearts. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's important as believers... To understand the judgment of God. The first thing to know about this judgment is that it is wonderfully impartial. 
It will manifest the right judgment every time. There is no way the guilty will be cleared. Zephaniah looks at Judah's neighbors and the prophecies of the judgment coming on them, just as he did those coming on Judah. Each of these nations and their people will have to account for their failure to obey the law of God. The Lord has watched over Judah because she was the nation created for his people. Habakkuk, in his prophecy, laid out God's complaint against them. He announced the terrible judgment that was coming against them. He made it known. God was calling forth the Babylonians and all of their brutality to be his instrument of punishment. O. Palmer Robinson says, God is righteous within Judah and so pronounces a woe over their rebelliousness. There is no way we can grasp all the divine wisdom that brings this judgment. It is simply beyond our human capacity. But even so, the message it produces is very clear. In the end, there is not one work of man that will not be brought under judgment, whether it is good or evil. I think this is the message our nation and the rest of the world needs to hear. Over history, there have been many nations who have espoused the idea of their favored status before God. That makes them feel as though they are exempt from the judgment of God. They can see everybody else's sins, but not their own. They believe they have some kind of divine mandate to rule over others. We see the long-suffering of God. We also recognize that his patience is not always for bringing repentance, but for challenging presumption. Therefore, we need to be very, very careful. This presumption can cause the misunderstanding of the message and bring disaster. Those who refuse to listen and repent must be aware, lest the judgment of God take them by surprise. As we come to this section on the judgment of nations, we find another incentive for repentance. There are several different motivations for Judah to repent found in this call of judgment against our neighbors. The devastation that falls on these surrounding nations should wake the people of Judah from their drowsiness and cause them to see their coming judgment. It should bring them to recognize they cannot hope to escape God's righteous indignation at their sins. <coughs> they should also see this judgment against their enemies as a blessing because it calls them to repent and to walk righteously before God. Zephaniah also shows in this section that God's blessing will come upon the Gentiles. This should also motivate the people of Judah to a jealousy, a jealousy that would bring them back to their God, the one and only true and living God. Zephaniah prophesies concerning the neighbors of Judah. He begins with a prophecy concerning Philistia, the longtime enemy of Judah. He moves to Moab and Ammon, the children of Lot. Then he comes to Ethiopia, or as some translate it, Cush, which are both ancient names for Egypt. Last, he addresses the Assyrians, the nation that destroyed Israel, the northern kingdom, and threatened Judah for the last several centuries. Zephaniah begins this section with a review of the judgments coming on the neighboring nations of Judah. Verse 4, For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Ekron shall be uprooted. He pronounces judgment on the western enemies of Israel. These cities represent the kingdom of the Philistines. These were the people who were the worst enemies Israel ever had. Now you may remember in David's day, 
the Philistines and is fighting with the Philistines. Well, they, the Philistines, from Joshua's time until David's time, they couldn't overcome them. So they had to live among them. But David, when he became king, defeated them totally. The pronouncement is telling in that it leaves Gaza abandoned, Ashkelon in ruins, and Ashdod destroyed at midday. You see in these words the impact of a total destruction. These people will be utterly and completely destroyed, and that destruction will come not in some secret attack at dawn or at night, but at midday, showing how easily their fall will come. The whole nation of Philistia, nor any one of the cities, will stand in this judgment that is coming. The righteousness of God will overcome them. This will show that all the peoples of this world will fall to his judgment with or without a continuation of Israel. In verse 5 you hear, Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Sherathites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you so there will be no inhabitant. Their doom is at hand, and reflected in that is all of the world, because these people live by the sea and thus associated through trade with the world. The name Sherathite identifies them as coming from the island of Crete. They are assigned their, their coastal land by decree of God in Amos 9-7. They tried to possess the land of Canaan, which was given to Israel. Therefore, the word of the Lord has come against them. He declares they will be destroyed, and not one soul shall survive. The Almighty God does this with a purpose in mind. These are a people who worship idols and ignore his commands. God brings this judgment on them as an example of his wrath against those who will not listen to him. Zephaniah uses this to call the people of Judah to repentance. Seeing this terrible wrath falling on their neighbors, Will the nation of Judah take heed and listen to the word of God? Can they not see it is only faithfulness to God that can protect them? Will they listen to the words of the book of the law Josiah found? Deuteronomy 28:63. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. They entered into a covenant with God through oath and promised to obey him. They aren't being obedient, so God is showing what will befall them. If they don't return to their covenant duties, Zephaniah continues in verse 6 to show the destruction that's befalling the Philippians. The Philistines, I'm sorry. The sea coast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. Commerce will be completely wiped out. The people will be gone. The islands return to pasture. There could not be a clearer picture of the devastation of this land. The Lord will destroy them and turn their land over to Judah. Verse 7. The sea shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. He gives a new reason for Judah to pay attention. Here is a clear motivation for their repentance. This is the first mention of a possible remnant of Judah. God will judge, but 
he will leave a remnant. To this group left behind will be a renewal of the covenant blessings. They will be given possession of Israel and the land of the Philistines. They will possess houses they have not built. He says they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The threats against them shall be removed. God will care for them and restore their fortunes. Who will this remnant be? This will be the humble, those who sought humility. These are the ones who sought the Lord, which is what Zephaniah said to do. Jesus makes the same point in Matthew 5, 5, when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those who see their own inability and recognize their need of a Savior are the truly humble ones. Here's the great blessing to all who recognize they're completely dependent on God and on the salvation he gives through his only begotten Son. This remnant will be those who have placed their hope in Jesus Christ alone. They will receive the promises of the covenant and have a place with the Lord for all of eternity. This should encourage you. It should encourage you to know that once God begins his work on behalf of his people, the revival of all his elect, the renewing of his promised blessings and the full restoration of his people will be completed. This concept of restoration comes from the book of the law. Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through 3, where it makes clear that once these covenant blessings and curses have come to pass, that restoration is still possible when accompanied by repentance and obedience. Here again, you see a sense of the Messiah, for is this not the promise in Jesus Christ? He came and did for men what they could never do for themselves, and those who acknowledge him and all he did on their behalf can be restored to the full blessings of the covenant. In this second judgment, we find something new. Zephaniah is pronouncing a judgment against some relatives of Israel. These are the descendants of Lot, the Moabites, the Ammonites. These people lived on the eastern side of Israel. They came into being as the incestuous children of Lot and lived on the edge of the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. They would have been very familiar with the destruction of these two sinful cities. It was a part of their history. They didn't like Israel and were actively involved a number of times in trying to destroy Israel. Verses 8 and 9. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon, with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely... Moab should be like Sodom, and the people of Amora, uh, Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. There were a lot of incidents in the history of these two nations. You may remember when Israel was coming out of Egypt and entering the Promised Land. Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam, the guy who... Uh, was talked to by the donkey. And he was hired to curse Israel when they came out of Egypt, but God would not allow the curse. What God gave Israel through Balaam was a blessing, a blessing that assured that a star and a scepter would arise from Israel and crush Balak and his people. Now here we find in Zephaniah the fulfillment of that curse to crush them. Ammon had tried to bring shame on Israel over the years. Now, if you might remember in the time of Saul, 
Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came up against Jabesh Gilead. And he surrounded the city and told them, If you will surrender me, I'll only put out your right eye. If I capture you, many of you will be killed, and still your right eyes will be put out. This was an attempt simply to humiliate Israel. Saul was sent by God to defeat them. He wanted to do it by putting out the right eye. This this king wanted to, to do all of this by putting out the right eye of all the people, even if they surrendered. Under David, the king of Ammon died. It's the same Ammon, it's a different king. And David sent envoys to Hanan, his son, to offer his condolences. But the envoys were taken and half their beards were shaved off and their clothes cut off in the middle of the buttocks to shame them. Why? Why would these born of incest be so set on shaming their neighbors and relatives? There is little reason to be found in such cold and callous insensitivity. This is a good picture of the world today. Those who trust in God are under constant attack by those who are their kin in the flesh. But don't be overwhelmed by this promise of God as Zephaniah is showing it. The promise is that the righteous will in the end overcome all and stand with God. Such reproach of the people of God comes out of an overactive self-confidence and pride of those who reject God. This is what the prophet shows about the Moabites and Ammonites. They have lifted themselves against Israel, the chosen of God. You will remember, God told Abraham all nations would be blessed through him. Here, God declares that Ammon and Moab will be cursed because of the hatred of Israel. God says, as I live, these nations will become like Sodom and Gomorrah. As we have already said, these people would have known what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. They would have been, this would have been a judgment and curse they could understand. It is interesting that God uses this terminology, as I live, because all life is found in God. He is the source of all life. There's no life without him. These two nations have lived their lives in such disobedience and hatred until life is denied them. We are shown in this a very graphic picture of the judgment of God. What we must learn from this is that this judgment does not come to an end in history or in prophecy with the end of the Old Testament dispensation. The destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness is only a foreshadow of the final judgment to come on this wicked world. In Matthew 10:15, Jesus makes a very clear statement. He said it would be more tolerable for those two wicked cities than for those who rejected him. The people of God today, both Jew and Gentile, are preserved by an undeserved grace. I can assure you the destruction that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah as well as on Judah and her neighbors is nothing compared to what will come at the end of this world. Those who fancy themselves to be religious must be aware, lest their arrogance bring them to an eternal fate that cannot be forgiven. If ever there was a word to call you away from just playing church, this is it. You must come to God with all of your heart and make the teaching of his word the center of your life. Christianity requires of you a commitment of your whole life. You will accept nothing less. In verses 10 through 11, Zephaniah shows this very type of arrogance. 
This they shall have for their pride, because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People will worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nations. Here he shows pride as the source of their arrogance. Isaiah had already delivered a rebuke to these people for their arrogance, and God had humbled them, but it didn't take, they didn't listen, they, it didn't take, they didn't listen. So now a harsher judgment is hand. The question this leaves is, will God pay attention to what the pride of Moab and Ammon caused to fall on them? If they will not, then the same destruction lies at their door. Zephaniah called them to seek humility, for only the meek of the world would receive any hope of deliverance. It's unbelievable that the world cannot look at all the examples God has given and understand they are not in charge. God is. O'Palmer Robinson addresses this very concept, and I can't put it any better, so let me read it to you. In presenting himself as the Messiah sent of God, Jesus spoke of the alternatives his presence placed before all people. Either they must break themselves before him, or they would be broken. Either they must fall on the rock, smashing the pride and self-conceit within them, or that same rock would fall on them, grinding them to pieces. That rock is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The heart of the problem these people had was a religious problem. He says, the Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the good gods of the earth. The word awesome holds the true meaning of what God's character is. Now, please, we misuse this word awesome too much. The word awesome really applies to God and to God alone, not to some ball player that commits some great play or something. We need to recognize when we say something's awesome, we're talking about it being divine. We're talking about it being great being in great in the sense of God. This refers to the theophany of his coming to them in judgment. It is God himself that shall come and destroy these wicked people. This is why they can't imagine what is coming, because man cannot comprehend the true and living God in all of his majesty. When he comes, he will inspire fear and great awe. He will come and all of their gods, the idols they have worshipped, will be destroyed. They worship those idols through their imaginations. The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 21, paragraph 1, tells us the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself. And he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men. Again, we can catch a glimpse of the new covenant when the gods of the nations of this world are shown to be nothing and weak, which is what? The coming of Jesus Christ did. It revealed their weakness. These nations will be shown the wonderful truth of the true and living God. They will know he is an awesome God. He says people will worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nations. The worship of the true God will be found throughout the world by Jew and Gentile as we see it today. Jesus confirmed this with the woman at the well when he told her in John 4, 21 and 20 through 23 that it was time to worship not in Jerusalem or Samaria but wherever the spirit and the truth were found. 
That would be where people worshipped this awesome living God. The wonderful truth this shows is that the coming day of the Lord will bring with it the future worship of God in spirit and truth for eternity. We have the foreshadow of that today with the preaching of the gospel. The day is here when the sun never sets on the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is truly going on around the world in every nation. That was to be the great effect of this judgment. In the next section, he addresses the neighbors to the south. He calls them the Cushites. This is Egypt. This is a very brief statement, verse 12. You Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword. Egypt, in the days of Moses, represented the wicked world. God was delivering his children from that evil world. They had enslaved and mistreated his people. He came and delivered them by his own power. They did not participate by fighting in any way. You have no part in your salvation, just as they had no part in their deliverance. Note, in this, he does not mention the land, and he mentions the people only by this little-used name. This is a much larger statement than it appears. This is a representative of all men who do not believe. That concept becomes even clearer in the last part of this verse when he declares, they will be slain by my sword. God is under, under oath, and a part of that oath from the covenant is to destroy those who fight against his people. In Joshua, you see the captain of the Lord's host ready to fight Israel. You hear it in the battle cry of Gideon against the Midianites. In Revelation of John, the one called the word of God carries a double-edged sword to strike the nations. Here again, you have to consider if God destroys the people of Cush, can Judah refuse to listen and learn from such an act by God? Will this judgment cause them to consider their own actions and come to repentance? What about you? Let's make it personal. What about you? Are you listening? Are you listening to what God did to those in the past that ignored his warnings? Should you not wake up? Wake up and see the danger this awesome sword of God brings to all who refuse his offer of grace? This is the very purpose of this book of Zephaniah. To bring all men to hear and accept the glorious offer of grace given by God in Jesus Christ. The last neighbor to have judgment pronounced on it is in the north, Assyria. This was the current threat standing against Judah. Over the last 50 to 100 years, her power had declined but not so much she could not destroy Judah if God would allow it. Zephaniah shows the judgment to come against her. Verses 13 through 15. And he will stretch out his hand against the north, destroy Assyria, and make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her midst. Every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the bittern, shall lodge on the capitals of her pillows. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold, for he will lay bare the cedar works. This is the rejoicing city that dwells securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none beside me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down? 
Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. You see the absolute destruction of this city of Noah. He says she is left dry as the wilderness. The birds and beasts of the field shall come to nest in her ruins. Here again, we come to see the reversal of creation. A place where men lived and prospered turned back to nothing but a wilderness. Nineveh, before her destruction was seen, as Dr. Robertson says, as a place of ecstasy, security, and self-sufficiency. A place where her people rejoiced over a good economy, over the arts and their leisure. They didn't see themselves with a burden of any particular responsibility and care for others. She had no enemy capable of overcoming her. She saw herself as quite self-sufficient. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none beside me. All you have to do is acknowledge your own inability to do any of this and place your hope and trust in Jesus and in him alone. The purpose of Zephaniah's letter is to show that God's judgment is coming and that it falls on all men. Do not presume you can avoid it. The only way to survive it is in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful Father, we come thanking you for the deliverance you gave us from death. Help us to know your plan for our lives and now how we should handle this life in order to bring glory to you in all we do. Our assurance is given in Jesus Christ, the one you send into this world to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. In his love and mercy, he redeemed us, he lifted us up, and carried us all the days of our lives. He is the one who has prepared our path through this world. Thank you, Father. Thank you for such grace and mercy. We love you and seek to grow in that love. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.